0: What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome back to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Bites of Purpose, this month's bite-sized episode on how to live more purposefully. Today, we're talking about how to pay attention. In my last bite-sized episode, I talked about living slow, and part of that was about how to do a digital declutter. If you haven't done that work... I'm here to tell you to do it now, urgently, because the number of distractions we have in our lives are robbing us of our ability to pay attention. And if we don't do something about it, our attention will continue to degrade. Last weekend, I was given what should have been the ultimate gift, two nights to myself attending a yoga retreat. The theme of the weekend was to immerse in presence. Great, I thought. Time to slow down. Stop the juggling. No distractions. But in those moments when I was still, why wasn't I present? Every time I was told to bring my attention to my breath, it brought attention to the fact that my mind was wandering. It was either back at home trying to remember if I'd submitted that document for the kid's school application, or in the future, worrying about a deadline I knew was coming up. But it was never in the room, If you've noticed that you struggle to pay attention, you aren't alone. Everyone is struggling to focus. Some people put this down to the great acceleration, the trend beginning in the 1950s when human enterprise and technology began the explosive trajectory we're on at the moment. We dramatically changed the speed at which we live our lives. Technology allows us to live and work ever more efficiently. We cram more and more into our days because we can, And if our attention drifts away from one of the devices we use to manage it, a notification will bring us back. It's important to realize that while the amount of information and the speed at which it reaches us has increased exponentially, our ability to process this hasn't changed. Our focus is finite. The cognitive capacity of the human brain hasn't really changed at all in the last 40,000 years. No wonder we're all feeling burnt out. So what can we do about it? If our cognitive abilities haven't changed, is there any hope for us in a world which is exponentially speeding up? A light bulb went on for me when a friend recommended I read Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. It describes exactly the reasons why we are all struggling to focus and the way in which everyone, from advertisers to media businesses to technology companies, are competing for our attention. About a week later, I listened to Brene Brown's amazing podcast with Amishi Jha about attention. Dots were falling into my lap. Was the universe trying to tell me something? Or was it my brain, pleading with me to slow down and really focus on the information it was showing me? The answer is that we can do something about our lack of focus. Even better, we already have the answers. But we need to reawaken our ability to pay attention. Here's how we start. Step one, there is no such thing as multitasking. In Peak Mind, Dr. Amishi Ja refers to our focus as a flashlight. We only have one flashlight, and we can only focus it on one task at a time. There is no such thing as multitasking, only task switching, which Ja describes as being terrible for our performance, accuracy, and mood. That stopped me in my tracks. You mean multitasking wasn't a skill? Something to aspire to be able to do? It wasn't something I was expected to do as a modern working woman and mother? No, it isn't. It isn't even really a thing. So where did the myth that women are better at multitasking come from? A 2015 online survey found that 80% of people believed women were better at multitasking than men. Common beliefs as to why this might be were that it was evolutionary. Women had evolved to be better at multitasking in order to cope with the myriad responsibilities of caregiving and running a household. These beliefs were consistent across different cultures and races. In 2019, Patricia Hirsch finally put this stereotype to the test. She tested groups of men and women in a number of dual-tasking and task-switching experiments. She found no significant gender difference between men and women. Women aren't any better at multitasking. They're just expected to do more of it. Not only that, multitasking is actually detrimental. It impairs your ability to do a task accurately And it impairs your reaction time. That's why it feels like your head is about to explode when your kids are fighting in the backseat of the car and you're trying to follow directions on Google Maps. Your brain is literally unable to direct your flashlight on all of those things at once. So stop doing it. Let's all agree right here, right now, to abandon the idea that the ideal woman is one who can do it all, because no one can. And we are setting ourselves up for failure at best and a car accident at worst, if we continue to try. Step two, turn off your notifications. Imagine this. You've settled down in front of your computer to finish a piece of work. It's urgent. It requires your full attention. As you start to make progress, your phone vibrates. At first you ignore it, but your attention has been pulled away. It vibrates again. You pick up your phone and reply to the message. An email from a client drops into your inbox. And another one. You click a link and before you know it, you're on a continuous scroll. What was it that you sat down to do in the first place? If this sounds familiar, don't beat yourself up about it. It isn't willpower that is keeping you from your tasks. Your devices and their notifications have been specifically designed to pull your attention away. In Stolen Focus, Johan Hari talks about the place where tech companies learn to incorporate distraction into their business models, Persuasive Technologies Lab at Stanford University. In the early 2000s, the lab started experimenting with the idea that behavioral science could be programmed into computer code. Studies that came out of Persuasive Technologies Lab have created things like the like button and the continuous scroll These design elements reward us for spending more time on social media, by rewarding us for posting content, or by delivering us an unending stream of content the algorithm already knows we like. We pay for these technologies with our time. Time is a finite commodity, which, if directed correctly by a well-designed content feed, is sold to advertisers. And these advertisers will pay a premium for more attention from the kinds of consumers, who are most likely to buy their products – all information that the companies that trade in your time already know. Most of us know this already, but have we changed our behaviours to stop giving so much of our time to other people to sell? Our time is finite, and our attention is finite. Much has been made of the fact that social media and the devices we use it on are designed to be addictive. We haven't changed our behaviors because it's so difficult to stop. We can remove some of the triggers of our distraction, though. Yep, those notifications. Switch off the notifications on your phone and computer. Remove any devices you aren't using from your view. Hell, even switch off this podcast. And get back to that urgent something you were doing. What was it again? Step 3. Avoid time travel. A very good friend of mine recently said to me, Elena, you are either living in the past or you're living in the future. You've got to start living in the present. I was worrying about something and unloading to her about it. Ruminating on things that happened in the past and how we could have done them differently, or catastrophizing about things that might happen in the future, drag us away from the present moment. Amishi Jar refers to our working memory, the type of memory that is required for us to store information, as a whiteboard. Whenever we are working on a task, we are writing on our whiteboard. It's like a dashboard where we hold bits and pieces of information we've noticed or want to remember for later on. We bring information from our long-term or short-term memories onto this whiteboard when we need to use it, and we can also encode information onto the whiteboard so that we can store it for later. However, the pen we are using on this whiteboard has disappearing ink. Unless we can encode the information, whatever is written on the whiteboard only stays there for a few seconds. While this sounds frustrating, there's a good reason for it. Our capacity for memory is finite, so our brain will only store information that it views as really important. And what the brain views as important has to do with the amount of attention we give to it. If we want to commit a piece of information to memory, we need to focus on it. We need to give it our attention. Part of the reason why we can remember places we have been many times, or the words to songs we've heard many times, is that we've focused on these things many times. We've written it onto our whiteboards repeatedly and encoded it. You've probably been in a situation in which you've zoned out, much like I did in the middle of my yoga class. Your mind has drifted to a worry you've been holding or thinking about how you might have better handled a situation in your past. Maybe it was during a meeting at work, or maybe it was while watching your child's football game. All of a sudden, everyone starts cheering, bringing you back to the present moment, only for you to realize it was your kid who scored the goal. And you missed it. The reason you miss things, or can't remember things despite being right there, is because as far as your brain is concerned, you weren't there at all. You were either in the past or the future, but you were somewhere else. The ink has disappeared and whatever you may have written about the present moment is gone. We can only record what is going on in our lives when we're in play mode, when we are present and really experiencing it. So how do we spend more of our time in play? Step four, the final part of the equation, mindfulness. The silver lining in all of this is that we have known for centuries how to stay in play and the importance of it to almost every part of our well-being. Most religions have woven it into their practices, and we've been talking about it increasingly loudly for the past two years. Google searches for it grew by more than 50% over the course of 2020 and 2021. And in the U.S. alone, the value of the meditation market will exceed 2 billion this year. We need to look inward. We need to practice mindfulness. Funnily enough, the best way to record something or to remember it isn't to take a picture or record it with your phone. It's to actually experience it. That's because, based on Amishi Jha's research, the purpose of our memory is not to record, but to help us learn about how to respond to what the world throws at us. Remembering the experience is simply a byproduct of the lesson the moment taught us. Being present has many other cognitive benefits. It reduces stress by forcing us to focus on what is happening in our body at the present moment. It improves the quality of our sleep. It teaches us to be more observant and notice things in our environment that we might miss if our brains were less practiced at paying attention. One of the best examples of the power of mindfulness for observation is Sherlock Holmes. Holmes is a great detective because of his powers of observation. He sees things other people miss. The number of steps up to a hallway, cat hairs on a coat, the smell of cigarette smoke. This isn't a superhuman skill, it's a practice that can be learned. Sherlock Holmes's creator, Arthur Conan Doyle, was himself a keen observer of people and places. He wrote down his observations in a notebook. He taught himself to pay attention and focus on the entirety of the scene, not just parts of it. You can do the same. Look around you at the room you're in. Try to take in as much as possible. The color of the curtains, what's lying on the desk in front of you, what you hear, anything you might smell. Then close your eyes and try to recreate this. You will find you get better with practice, and you'll also find that you'll start to see things you never noticed. In addition to scheduling time to be present and to practice focused mindfulness, we also need to schedule time to allow our minds to wander. This is important for consolidation. Has a brilliant idea ever popped into your head while you were driving or doing laundry? That's because you've allowed your mind to wander. I do my best thinking when I'm moving. If something's been on my mind, I mentally park this and make a note to go back to it later. While it's parked, my mind is working on this while I'm brushing my teeth or winding down for bed. And then when I get up to go for a run, somehow the answer to my problem comes to the surface. It's the outcome of my brain's work in consolidating. It might be tempting to fill your time and be productive. After all, time is a commodity and our to-do lists keep growing. But try to schedule time to let your mind wander and see where it takes you. I hope this little bite of purpose has given you something to think about or meditate on the next time you find your mind wandering. And with regular practice, you might find you are better able to pay attention. If you want to read more of Stolen Focus or Peak Mind or any of the other resources I've talked about in this episode, they're all in the show notes. You won't be hearing from me again next week as I'm taking a short break to focus, consolidate, and come back to you with more conversations and ideas on infusing purpose into your lives and your work. But drop me a message or leave me a review. I really love hearing from you. Bye.